0: It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN.
1: Good morning. Welcome to The Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. If you may recall, last Sunday morning when I spoke with you, I was off the coast in Maine, and I had very bad reception. Well, I'm still out of the studio and in the field. And this morning as I talk to you, I am on the coast of Maine preparing for, we're not quite sure what, a hurricane, a big tropical storm. I'm not sure what it is, but I can tell you preparing for the worst is what people all along New England have been doing for the past few days, and so here we are early Sunday morning, and I thought I would turn today's show, or at least the beginning of it, into what it's like to prepare for a hurricane on the coast. It's something I've only prepared for once in my life, and that was quite a while ago with Hurricane Bob, which hit the southern coast of Maine. And even though it only came ashore with 95 mile an hour winds, its eye passed directly over the location where I was at that time. And it's the only time I've ever been in the eye of a hurricane. This doesn't look as though it's gonna be the same deal, but it started on Thursday with storm warnings going up up and down the northern, new england seaboard and the first thing that happens with storm warnings is you got to get your boats in places where they'll be out of a storm into places that are known as hurricane holes or coves and so in the spirit of the great outdoors show let me walk you through the last 72 hours and the possibility of being in the midst of my second hurricane on the atlantic coast and it's very different from what we prepare for in the midwest when we hear a tornado coming and we head for the basement. So, on the coast of Maine, uh the warnings went up on Thursday and for me that meant it was time to move 20 miles of open o- across open ocean in a small relatively small 20-foot uh powerboat uh to get to a place uh in Portland where there would be a safe harbor in the event the hurricane actually did hit. Crossing 20 miles of open ocean Thursday afternoon with my son in a driving rainstorm with visibility shrouding down to a mere hundred yards at the most at times was the kind of experience you don't you don't forget. So we moved up the coast without being able to see land, knowing that the rocky shoals all along the way, the southern main coast is littered with shipwrecks from a century and less ago. Of course, we had the ability of having a GPS system, but it nonetheless is pretty unnerving to be in fog in an ocean, not being able to see land and knowing the only thing that that potentially keeps you off the rocks and and sinking is a piece of electronics. Of course, airline pilots deal with this every time they fly, but for most of us, we want to use our eyes and our ears when we're in a boat and we couldn't use our eyes and really our ears weren't much good either. Uh, so here we were in the fog in a driving rain of the kind that comes sideways at you in a sea that was calm when we started but beginning to build using a GPS to guide us around the shoals off the main coast, a trip that I've done Many times, uh, but never in a dense fog. I wouldn't think of doing it in a dense fog, except this time I had no choice because if the hurricane was to materialize and the seas were to build on Friday, there's no way I could have gotten from the location where I was to take the boat to safe harbor because the seas in the Atlantic would be too large for a 20-foot boat. So we went up the main coast. Just paying your instincts, all of your instincts are on high alert. And we rounded the lighthouse as the GPS told us we would off the Portland Harbor and turned to port and headed west into the harbor, past the lighthouse and entered calmer waters. And both my son and I, who's now a young man, no longer a child or a teenager, we both breathed a, a sigh of relief as we headed into the safe waters of the harbor, and all up and down the northern eastern seaboard there were thousands of boats doing the same thing that we were doing, maybe not Thursday, but certainly Friday and, and, and very much Saturday for those who still could get out as the storm has built and the seas are, are really raging. The other thing that happens before a hurricane is you watch nature and, and Thursday morning, I was on the coast and I noticed a very strange phenomenon. This was before we had the warnings that a hurricane was, was potentially on its way even if a small hurricane, a big tropical storm. I was on the coast and I, and I thought I saw what appeared to me to be the first migrating flock of shorebirds, uh, sandpipers, uh, coming down through the coves and along the coast. And sure enough, there was a flock of well over 100 sandpipers uh, that swirled around and went by me. And a few minutes later, there was a ball of another bird another bunch of birds and this one was even bigger and they made their way around the bay and they made, and they circled a couple times and they lit on the uh, sandbars and they stayed there for just moments and they took off again and I turned to uh, my son and I said I, I think we're beginning to watch the first migration of, of the summer uh, and these birds were moving obviously ahead of the hurricane and we stood there and I stood there longer. And over a period of time, flock after flock after flock of sandpipers went by all of them. And, and, and the, the hundred birds would be the minimum and three, four hundred birds, the biggest, not high in the sky at all. They don't migrate high in the sky. They uh, were anywhere from 100 yards up to right on the deck in the, in the Atlantic Ocean. And they went by this point where I was standing. Uh, and it made me realize, even though Thursday was the 19th of August, for birds, particularly those headed to Central America, the migration is already already well underway. And for blue-winged teal and pintail, they began to leave the prairies, believe it or not, in, in early August with the Vanguard flights moving into Louisiana and into the places like the Bear River marshes out in Utah and and some birds already have reached the Yucatan the earliest birds but to stand there and watch as as mother nature was on a on a warm day you would have no idea that fall was on the way but this tropical storm clearly had the birds saying these birds time to go the other thing of course that happens before you prepare for a tropical storm is lobstermen go out and they they prepare their pots They tie everything down. They make a last run to be able to to make a harvest because they don't know how many days they're going to be holed up, uh, out of the, out of the, off the ocean. So life becomes incredibly frenetic, just unbelievably busy on the ocean. You, You know, we've all seen pictures of people putting plywood on their windows in Florida and boarding up buildings, but to be on the sea, right on the coast. And watches a community that's lived with hurricanes since people first settled here a long time ago, deals with hurricanes. And you see the frenetic activity in the harbor. You see moorings being pulled. You see ships moving way back up into the tidal marshes. Everything to get out of the storm's way. And then again, you watch Mother Nature and you look at the birds. And on this, this Sunday morning on the coast of Maine, you realize that they were telling you several days ago, time to get out of Dodge, at least for the earliest migrants we're telling you. And then the rafts of eiders and scoters, which often are further off the coast, they suddenly began to appear near the harbors and along the coastline. They too know something's coming. By tomorrow, we'll we'll know pretty much what it was. But that's my story this morning from the coast of Maine, where I did not expect to be there this long, but I too am grounded by Mother Nature. When I come back, I'm going to talk about an unbelievable story that is taking place from two organizations that have every intention of disrupting wildlife management as we know it. I'll be back in just a moment. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN Radio, and first a message from our longtime sponsors, the Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet Dealers
0: in the field hunters need to be alert sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are communicate seamlessly with their dogs and when it comes to pickup trucks you want the same qualities the all-new chevy silverado comes with an available 4g wi-fi hotspot for seamless communication it's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology tough on the road and off and the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the big fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the
1: Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show, Charlie Potter, your host. And for those just joining me, I've battened down the hatches and I'm going to wait to see what happens with Henri or Henry, depending on how you pronounce it, which is pummeling right now the coast of Maine where I happen to be because I couldn't get back to WGN Studios because everything here in southeast Maine is pretty much shut down due to the storm. And I'm going to move from the storm. As I said, we'll know tomorrow what what the outcome is. I'm going to move from the storm to to a storm that that is going to be brewing of its own. It has nothing to do with weather. It is a preposterous and yet, it shows that perhaps nothing is preposterous anymore. A petition to ban all interstate transport of wildlife would cripple conservation. Eff- excuse me, would cripple conservation efforts and destroy hunting as we know it. It's. It, it, I'm reading this headline, thinking this is impossible. An Outdoor Life magazine has been in some newspapers. Two. They call themselves. Conservation groups, no, they are not conservation groups. Conservation is, you've heard me speak often, is the wise use of our natural resources to what only can be described as extreme or radical environmental groups want to ban the transportation of wildlife, including wild game, across state lines. And these two groups, well, they surprise me in who they are. I'll tell you in just a moment, but it has awakened the entire conservation community, uh, which cannot believe that someone would have such an assault on wildlife management in America. A group called the Center for Biological Diversity, very, very small, unknown group, and the Natural Resource Defense Council, a very well-known group and a very powerful group are leveraging the fear of COVID to push forth their anti hunting agenda across America. That's a quote. Uh, it is a ban. It is a petition to the Department of Interior that would ban transporting any kind of wildlife live or otherwise across state lines. It would end hunting as we know it. You couldn't shoot a pheasant in South Dakota and drive it to Wisconsin or Illinois. You couldn't shoot a deer in Iowa and bring it home to Illinois. You couldn't shoot anything anywhere in America and transport it across a state line. Furthermore, it would ban the import of all wildlife harvested in any country around the world. It's preposterous. And yet it makes you wonder what's the agenda here? Why, why would a group like the natural resource defense council, which yes, they've been out there in the past, but they've also been mainstream on a lot of things. Why would they weigh into something like this that would explode, blow up end wildlife management as we know it. And they want furthermore They want the license fees from hunters and the excise taxes from Pittman-Robertson funds to be sent to Africa to help stop hunting in Africa. So funds that are provided by American sportsmen to fund wildlife management and hunting opportunity in America according to the national resource defense council should be taken and not spent in America, but sent to Africa to ban hunting in Africa. It's, it's just unbelievable. I'm I've been doing this for a long time. As a lot of, you know, I have, this is, this is singularly, I I guess it ranks right up there with the worst ideas I've ever heard. Now, the chances of this happening in today, 2021, are are zero. But the very fact that a once respected group, the Natural Resource Defense Council, NRDC, would be championing this leaves you to wonder how many other, if you will, are there foxes in sheep's clothing laying out there who really want to destroy hunting? so just say it happened and that they did this well it would end it would end hunting in america there would be no money for wildlife management no money for purchasing and managing national wildlife refuges there would be no hunting industry because you couldn't hunt anywhere in the, but the state you lived if you intended to shoot something and bring it home. There would be no taxidermy business. There would be no processing of game meat business. It would be over. Billions of dollars would be lost. And in their perfect world, the money that was left would be sent to Africa to stop hunting there. So I don't know what on earth would cause them to, to do this, but the Natural Resource Defense Council has, has really lost its way. If they, in fact, think this is something um, that could possibly be accepted in the mainstream, it can't be accepted in the mainstream. This this would be the, if you will, the sword on which everybody who believes in conservation and hunting would die on their sword over this one. But the fact that I'm talking about it this morning indicates that uh, it's real. I don't mean it's real because I'm talking about it, but it's real that this has happened. And even though the Biden administration is is certainly not a huge proponent of hunting, and we know that, uh, the Secretary of the Interior is not about to uh, issue that kind of a ban. But nonetheless, remember those names I gave you. And if you care at all about the future of conservation and wildlife management, they are not your friend. The Center for Biological Diversity and the Natural Resource Defense Council have proposed this anti-hunting agenda to stop being able to transport wildlife live or otherwise across state lines. I got to go now, but next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about the NRA and the new charges that have been leveled against the NRA, which individually are bad enough, but taken as a whole are the kind of charges that will destroy whatever integrity is left of the NRA. And if proven, uh, certainly will send a lot of people who've been senior managers in the NRA for a long time to jail. Sad story. Terrible story. Next week, we'll talk about it and what it means for conservation. Thanks so much for listening. From the Atlantic coast and hunkering down, hoping a hurricane doesn't hit, this is Charlie Potter, the Outdoor Voice of Chicago in America, 720 WGN.